Welcome back to another episode of Hot Off The Hip. Hot Off The Hip is dedicated to connecting and inspiring young professionals in West Michigan through shared stories and ideas. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Peter Cushion to the show. Peter is currently working as a concrete professional on custom concrete work and has a passion for permaculture, currently involved in a big project called Unity Acres. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, Peter, let's kick it off uh, with a lowball question here. What brought you to uh, West Michigan or what do you love about what the area? Yeah, I mean, I was born in Zeeland, Michigan. I kind of lived there pretty much my whole life until I moved to Hudsonville. Um, I honestly kind of love it around here. It's, I don't know, it's it's just a nice place to be, you know, pretty laid back. And um, I'm not usually a fan of cities, but Grand Rapids is pretty nice as far as cities go. Um, I love, one of the things I like about Michigan in general is the uh, forests we have around here. Um, and just the sheer amount of preserved land that that's something that really appeals to me. And I love um, foraging and exploring the woods and doing botanical work and uh, studying things like that. Um, that's amazing. So if I'm um, a novice at uh, forest, but I, I'm interested in exploring and foraging, is there any recommended uh, places I go to start or like best, best for steps or yeah. how'd you get into it? Well, the, w- <laughs> The way I got into it was um, mainly by looking things up online, but it really helped joining a local group of foragers um, online as well, where I can ask questions and things like that. I, I highly recommend doing that for anybody starting out. Find professionals who know how to do it. Um, it can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, um, but there's a lot of good and safe things to look for, you know, as a beginner too, for sure. Um, so uh, it, make sure you always know what you're looking for too. Don't go out just saying, oh, I'll find something and... Yeah, that, that there's a lion's mane, and then it's not a lion's mane or something right, right. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like cool. to do a lot of that kind of thing in my spare time. Um, this past fall and summer, I was spending probably close to two, three hours a day just wandering the woods looking for stuff. But Wow. Now, that is that during, you said that was in the fall, during the winter, do you take a break or is the woods just as exciting in the wintertime? Well, I have personally been taking a break, but a lot of foragers do not. Um, there's there's oh. a lot of things you can find in the winter. I'm just, most of the time it's stuff that I'm personally uninterested in, or I just don't really feel like going out in the cold to pursue. Um, I have before, I have taken walks before just to see how things are. Um, and I do recommend that you get out there at least like a few times per season just to see um, kind of the cycle of how things grow and um, how forests oh. change. You know, it it really kind of helps give you a deeper understanding for how an ecosystem works. You know, to see it in every season. Yeah. But and and just to be there to observe and not necessarily uh, just like uh, perhaps recreate or enjoy, but right. more to like, yeah, yeah. that's very cool. Um, we're gonna get back to environment and um, what we can do and the, some thing cool things you're doing involved in that. But I want to specifically focus in on the first part here. Uh, you're 24. You're establishing or getting established in your professional career. Talk to me about how that's been going for you. Yeah, well, I started out uh, about four and a half years ago, right before I got married um, in the trades. And I, had, I hadn't really done a ton of that work, but my dad is a carpenter. Um, and um, for a while, I did just like remodel type stuff for homes um, in the Holland area. And so I started doing decorative concrete work. And that was something that really appealed to me, I think, because of the challenge uh, it is, you know, to, to master. It's a very, um, 
unique trade. You know, it's something that's very uh, nuanced and niche, and it requires a lot of um, skills that aren't merely brute strength kind of skills. You know, it's not it's not just a brawn kind of thing. It's like a you know paying attention to detail and you know looking at really tiny things and and knowing uh, how different materials work together, stuff like that. Uh, we did everything from polishing, staining, sealing things to some pouring concrete, um, epoxy floors, uh, repairing stuff, you know, just a little bit of everything. Um, that was a great job and a great guy to work for. Um, and then, uh, last year we went out of business, um, due to COVID and just the lockdowns. We were, we were a small business. There was three of us. So, mm. um, couldn't really sustain the hits after a slow winter. Um, mm. but yeah, now I work doing, uh, actually I work with that old boss, um, as a coworker now. Um, and we work for, one of his relatives who has a much larger company called hard topics and they make, um, custom concrete tabletops, fireplace surrounds, counters, pretty much anything that people want. That's custom. Everything we do is custom. Um, and that's a pretty cool, cool job. It's, it uses a lot of the same skills that I used at my last job, but there's, there's a lot of nuance to it. And I don't know, something about it is just a little more interesting to me because of how unique and nuanced it is. Is it is it more of a craft to you now or I would say so. Yeah. It it's one of those things that I don't think will ever be uh automated, the process. It it really can't be. We use obviously we use a lot of power tools like um polishers and whatever, but it, it's really something that has to be done by hand by people. Um and until recently, people weren't even um They, they weren't even prefabbing all of these, you know, this is, this mm. was the kind of thing where most people would try to DIY it themselves or pour it right. in place or something along those lines. And now it's something that Dave, my, my boss has mastered mm. the art of prefabbing these. I don't know of That's a single amazing. other person that prefabs these in Michigan. There, there could be some, but I just don't know any of their names. Instead of making a form on top of, let's say the cabinetry, right. yeah. you yeah. can somehow model what the form needs to be right. away uh after an initial visit or a templating or something yeah, like that? Yep. We have wow. usually Dave or, uh, or our carpenter does, goes to the job, um, after a quote and does the templating where he brings like a thin, um, some kind of thin, thin plywood, really, really lightweight stuff. And he'll mark out everything, put the measurements on quick, make a template and he'll mm -hmm. take that back to the shop. Um, from there, our carpenter makes the forms. He usually uses like a CNC machine or something for that. That's about the only part of the process that's, you know, automated. Right. Um, because the measurements have to be exact for it to work. Right. Um, so he Your overhangs and everything. Right. Exactly. And you have to know how thick all the walls of it are going to be. And, you can't move the sink over. You go into rebar probably too, or something like that. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's lots of difficulties yeah. with that. Most of the stuff we do is new <laughs> construction too, which helps, but oh. you know, it can still, it can still be a process. So we need everything as exact as possible. When he builds the forms that goes into the casting shop, uh, they put concrete down, kind of covering the inside of the form, like, like the inside of a bowl and they're mm. actually building it upside down. So once they build, once they put all the concrete in there, you know, they, they, the, the casting shop mixes things up to the right consistency. They have the right kinds of ratios of everything that they need and the right colors and whatnot. Then from there, they let it sit overnight and harden under heat blankets. From there, they push it over to, these are all on rolling tables, by the way, they push right. the countertops over to the polishing and grinding shop where they you know, make sure there's no discrepancies in the way it looks. They make sure everything's smooth and it's a nice, even, uh, flat finish. 
and, and polished. And then from there it goes into the seal shop. And that's mainly where I work right now is the seal shop. So uh, having a background in the natural stone industry, I know that some of the kitchens can have quite a large footprint. Do you guys clamp everything down to a rolling table and push it across the floor and nothing breaks? That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So a lot of the things we do, depending on the shape of it, are in pieces. So okay. there's you might have the island pieces, one piece. You might have one side of the of the countertop, one piece, and then the other side, another piece, if it's an L shape or whatever. It depends. And mm. then we just make it seamless. Um, they've also mastered finding color matches for both silicone and caulk and, you know, yeah. anything else they could need. So we can match the color exactly to what the concrete needs to be. For all of our standard wow. colors, we have a color match. And we have ways of creating color match for custom colors that people have as well. So That's a pretty awesome process. Yeah. And we, we have these special carts that they sit up on end on. And we wheel those into the house or carry them or whatever we need to. They do get heavy, mm -hmm. I will admit. It is... Yeah, it's a lot of lifting to install, but yeah, we, we, we make it work and we get them in there. We install them, make sure everything's level and yeah, it, it's pretty cool. It's a cool process. Is this something you want to be pursuing for the next five, 10 years or? I think so. Yeah. At, at least as far as right now, I'd say, yeah, it's something that a lot of the knowledge I have already, uh, helped me get, you know, move forward a little bit in this job and help me get it in the first place. Really. It's hard to find right. people that have any sort of experience in anything even re re remotely related to this. Um, right. So that really helped me, but I, I really enjoy it. And just, I think my artistic side really appreciates the little nuance to both repairing stuff like that. And also just creating a final finish that looks nice and, you know, designing stuff. So. That's pretty amazing, Peter. A lot of young professionals will take a step right out the gate, but it's not something the, that they find long-term value and it's pretty amazing that you were able to find something and also find the value in it and enjoy it that's that's a beautiful thing yeah I, th I think too the the little skills that i've learned either with specific tools or just having an eye for certain things has really helped me too because those are those are skills that i can't i, I won't just apply to this industry but i can apply to anything else as well in the future mm -hmm. so even if i change to a different trade like like that helped me when i briefly did tile for a little while as well yeah just that kind of attention to detail really really helped oh. me out you know so yeah. terrific so what gets you out of bed in the morning is it the is it the job or is there more what kind of encompasses the uh when i wake up this is how i view my motivation well there's uh, there's a few motivations for me and i i didn't write all of them on your questionnaire that you provided but <laughs> um, obviously one of my main ones is I, I just have this desire to create. I, I don't know why, but I love creating something. I love designing things. It, I, and I'm not really a mathematically minded person, but I like, I like designing things and just creating something, whether that's a game, whether that's a story or creating an atmosphere or designing some kind of space for people to, to be in or visit. That's, that's something I want really want to explore more in the future as well. But, um, I, I just like creating things. I just have this natural drive and I think it's a God given drive that I have, you know, to create things. Um, mm. the other thing obviously too, is just my responsibilities. You know, I have a wife and, you know, so I have a duty to take care of both of us. Um, and yeah, I, I think those are the main two. Um, I think a third one is just, I do enjoy working with my hands. Well, I enjoy working at all. Um, there was a short time when I was younger where I, I went for probably a few weeks without work. And for me personally, 
I hate that. I absolutely hate not doing anything. I hate not working. I hate not being productive. So for me, it's, it's partially also a drive to just be doing something and, and staying busy, you know, um, mm. that I think has caused some problems sometimes for me when, um, say I have like a day off and I'm supposed to be relaxing that I'm not very good at that, <laughs> but that's actually a really great, uh, thing you bring up. I want to focus in on that a little bit, your enjoyment from work. There are many who would view work as a curse or something that is, uh, is a, a, a task that is not enjoyable. Do you connect your desire to create and the satisfaction you get from creating directly to your work? Are they linked in some sort of different way or not linked at all? Kind of describe to me, where did you learn to enjoy your work or how did you land on enjoying what many would consider a hard and unenjoyable thing? Yeah, um, I think for the first part of the question, I, th I think they are connected. You know, I, I think I like my work because it's productive and, and at least in the trades, you know, I can really see a tangible difference when I'm doing things versus working in like, say an office. I, I personally respect people who can do office work. I'm not really that kind of a person unless it's a more creative type job. Mm. Um, but I appreciate the fact that people can work with more abstract concepts and things that they're not necessarily tangibly seeing any difference in. But that's why I like, I think that's why I like the trades so much, especially these kinds of trades where I'm actively designing and making something physical that I can see and, and work with. So I, th I think in that respect, they're, they're definitely connected. As for the second part of your question, I'd say where I learned to enjoy my work was largely from my dad. He's a hardworking guy. And um, admittedly, when I was younger, I did not always enjoy my work. That's for sure. Um, but I think part of it is learning to see your work as um, as a creative space or a um, almost a I don't want to quite say a game, but something that makes it more interesting because it's not because work it shouldn't be boring. I th I think most most jobs you can probably find something interesting about it if you try. Find find a job that you enjoy that you can play around with and not get bored with. I think it, you know, that my, my dad kind of really instilled that in us kids. He's, he's a creative guy. You know, he has a lot of creative little hobbies that he likes. Um, whether that's woodworking or writing or, um, calligraphy, things like that. Just, I think the, I think it mainly came from him. That's amazing. Uh, one thing that's apparent to me is so often we can attach our enjoyment of work to the feedback we get about our work, which really seems to me to be uh, disassociated with the actual value you should be looking at mm. in your work. So for example, when you walk away, and this is a really concrete example, part of my pun, um, <laughs> when you walk away from a countertop and you see that you've created something very concretely, very solid, very much in front of you in a tactile way, you can walk away with that, with the satisfaction that was beautiful. I invested my time into that. I grew as a person because of the process and the rigor and the struggle and the attention to detail. However, if you got your enjoyment and you were looking to get your enjoyment based off of purely what your boss said about the concrete job, Peter, you, you know, you, you took 15 minutes longer than normal, Peter, you know, this looks great, but this is the only thing that becomes a lot less of a solid thing to get your enjoyment from. It's oh, yeah. very much less, uh, rooted and grounded in your creative uh, drive, your creative uh, initiative. 
Oh yeah, I agree. So I think that's beautiful that you can bring that out a little bit and say, it's because I'm creating something. I can see what I'm creating and, and I have this desire to work on this masterpiece called my work, my art, my, you know, my career. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. That's a gift too. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying so. Yeah. So let's look at some of the other creative things and perhaps this would tie into dreams and desires that you have for the community, but this is definitely also something you are creating and pouring your spirit and life and love into. Let's talk about Unity Acres. Yeah. So Unity Acres is a project that me and my wife and my brother and one of our friends, I'll just use their names from now on, Liz, Jeremiah, and Aiden, um, that we created to kind of be both an educational benefit to the community and ourselves, um, but also to produce abundance, um, sort of a demonstration as well. Um, It didn't start out that way. It was originally just going to be a thing for us to practice growing um, because we all want to do um, something farming related in the future. But, and we were originally going to sell to restaurants, but last year uh, when we planned to start doing that, that was March was a very bad time to start selling to restaurants. And most people who were selling to restaurants, especially full time uh, struggled very, very, very hard. (laughs) Um, It's, it's a good market because you're guaranteed a fair amount of money, but the problem is that it's an unstable market. Chefs can choose at any time to just stop buying from you. And that does yeah. happen in, in a lot of places. Change the menu. They don't need your products anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided from then on to focus more on uh, selling directly to individuals and consumers. We like that for a few reasons. One, it allows us to kind of foster a relationship with people as we talk to them. Um, but also it's, it's more engaging to the community as a whole, because we get to talk to people. I think of a few people that we had at our farm stand, uh, this past year, Jason and Vanessa, you know, they bring their kids over and they can see what we're doing. And we kind of explain, um, why what we're doing is, you know, different from traditional agriculture. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a great opportunity, I think, to help the community in a more educational way. Uh, what is the importance of getting dirty thumbs? Oh yeah. Uh, you're talking like, uh, like just getting your hands dirty. The educational component of it, I guess. Yeah. Of, of the actual doing the work of farming and the differences between traditional agriculture and what you guys are promoting and utilizing. Yeah. So most agriculture, I, I'm going to try to keep this brief because this is a subject I could actually talk for hours on. Um, most traditional agriculture focuses on just the pure production of, um, crops, right? They, a lot of what they do, um, ends up taking nutrients out of the soil and not really replenishing anything. We practice what's called regenerative agriculture, where we're focusing on making the soil or the, the land where we're growing better than where, when we left or than we, when we first got there. So we at, we're adding nutrients by growing things on it rather than just depleting nutrients by growing things on it. Um, that ties into permaculture principles as well. So, Permaculture is the science of designing a natural ecosystem that is built towards agriculture and helping the community. So for us, we're doing that mainly on a very small scale and uh, demonstrating very small principles at a time. But, you know, it's better than nothing. And uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually. We, none of us have land right now. Um, that's actually part of what we're tr- trying to prove is that you don't need much space to practice these kinds of principles or to grow an abundance of food. So 
we have um, we have a small. I think it's four thousand square feet. Maybe not quite that much. Might be less than that. It's a sort of market style garden in downtown Zealand. Um, we have a farm stand that we built last year just to kind of sell little extras here and there um, as we get to it. The goal of it is not really profit, um, although we do keep track of all of what we spend and what we make. Um, and we keep records on everything like that and what our most popular you know, vegetables are and things like that. Um, but we have um, this year, we're going to be starting a membership program, uh, which is actually open for sign up now. So mm. if you're from, I don't know if you're familiar with CSAs at all. Slightly, but elaborate us, especially for the audience that may not be aware. Yeah, sure. Um, a CSA is a community-supported agriculture. Um, a lot of small-scale and organic farms do that. It's where people will basically say at the beginning of the year, okay, I'm going to buy this much. And the farm basically gets paid at the beginning of the year and then provides that produce throughout the rest of the year. So we took inspiration from that and also advice from a farmer up in Ludington um, who suggested that we have it be more of a because of the nature of it, more of a uh, donation reward system. So people who sign up to, for, to be members of our farm stand, we, we call that joining the green market society. That's kind of our little nickname for our membership. Um, people who join the green market society are members of our farm stand. They're, they're donors. And throughout the year, they will get produce that we produce from it. We have a few set things that they will always get. And then we have just some extra bonuses that we might throw in throughout the year uh, from our experimental beds. So like if, for example, some of our rare seeds like uh, Kajari melon or strawberry blight uh, end up growing really well, we might throw those in with our um, with our member boxes for them to pick up. And then oh, we also cool. have a um, sort of a shippable box that will have preserved goods in it at the end of the year. Hopefully that'll be going out in October for whoever buys those. Um, we keep track of everything on Memberful, which is sort of like Patreon, but more okay. um, more flexible and easier to uh, balance for businesses and less so for just like artists and content creators. So, Right. Wow. Uh, so first of all, before we get too far, talk to us. Uh, where's the website? If people are interested in supporting Unity Acres or becoming part of the CSA, where do they go? What do they sign up for? What do they look for? Yeah. So you can go to unityacresfarms.wixsite.com. We'll work on a more official website someday. <laughs> it's a work in progress, but you can donate there. We have our produce page, which has our membership options there. And we just have purchase and join buttons for that, along with details for what you'll get. Um, you can also check out all of our work on Instagram. That's where the, we're the most active, at Unity Acres. And we have all kinds of photos and we have a few educational things like posters and whatnot. We're still trying mm. to nail down kind of how we want those to look because I want them to look consistent. I'm a very visual guy, so yeah. we'll get there eventually. But Thanks, Concrete. <laughs> uh, I've noticed uh, just a few posts that I've I've followed um, you guys on and uh, some just a little bit of uh, quite a bit of interest actually on my own personal end. There is an abundance of produce that we as a general population have no idea about just the different types of even just leafy greens that we could be consuming that are just uh, not part of the abundance we find in the grocery store. And as good a, a supply chain as a grocery store has, it's really cool to be able to see some unique and different foods, uh, vegetables and fruits uh, come to the market, roots, all that sort of stuff. So um, the educational component is definitely eye-opening, at least for me. <laughs> that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, that's kind of the goal too, is to kind of educate people on um, the state of our food system. Um, we tend to think that our our food system, um, and I, 
I'm willing to call this an opinion, but our food mm. system is broken. Um, we have, it's been, it's been kind of like this for quite a long time, but the way things are set up is not very efficient. We produce, we get most of our produce imported, which is already really weird. Um, when we can grow <laughs> abundance here, um, we don't eat so many things that are so many crops that are more resilient than the ones we produce that taste better sometimes too, you know? Um, so one of our goals is, you know, also educating people on foraging stuff. So you'll see like last year, I had a few mushrooms that I posted about. I, um, we have some wild apples, wild grapes that grow around here. We got autumn olive berries, um, a few different leaves, um, that you can eat out there. Um, all sorts of stuff, you know, cacti. Most people don't even know that cacti grow in Michigan. Um, but there is a prickly pear cactus that does grow natively to Michigan. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. You can find a lot of it down by Sagatuck and, uh, anywhere there's more sandy areas, but one of our goals with that is just to show people there's so much more to plants as produce than people think, you know, there, there's people tend to Have you ever thought about growing a sassafras tree in your backyard instead of a red maple or something like that, or a a red, red, you know, an Asian oak tree of some sort. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, just even just varieties within certain plants is what, you know, I was mind blown when I learned about this kind of thing a few years ago when, and every time I learn about new varieties of certain plants that have just existed for thousands of years, I'm always blown away by how little how did I know about this? Right. Like how little <laughs> how little we know about it. You know, I mean most people don't I mean most most people know that there's a few different colors of carrots, you know. But when it comes to like um let me think. Like uh kiwis, for example, I was I, in my spare time I researched botany sometimes. And so I was looking at kiwis and the the interesting thing is there's two different families of kiwis. Most people just think of the brown fuzzy kiwis with mm. the green on the inside, right? Well, mm. kiwis originated in Asia, uh, China to be specific. And there's two main families of kiwis. There's the uh, fuzzy kiwis, which are the ones we're familiar with. Um, but even within that, there's a few different varieties. So there's yellow kiwis, there's reddish ones, there's dark greens, light greens, um, ones that are close to white. Um, and then there's also what are known as the hardy kiwis. Now, hardy kiwis are cool because they're cold season kiwis. They grow best in cold oh. climates. Um and rather than growing on um, trees, they grow on vines. The cool thing mm. is, too, that they're hairless, actually. So they're smaller mm. and they're hairless, but they have a more intense flavor. Um, you they look kind of like a grape almost. Yes, they it's do. Like almost. Large. Yeah, mm. yeah. And they have there's there's red ones, there's green ones, all, all different varieties. And what most people don't realize is you can grow hardy kiwis here in the Midwest, in Michigan, in fact. I, I plan wow. to get one someday when I have the space for something that big. They they grow very, very large. <laughs> Um, That's once it gets to maturity, you're going to have about 200 pounds of vines, um, per year growing from that. Um, so they're, they're very, very large plants. You want to trim them back, but you yeah. might just corner the Kiwi market here in Michigan. I know. I know yeah. <laughs> well, I thought that would be a really cool thing would be to just sell lo- locally grown Kiwis. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's but. amazing. So if, if I was a, a novice or looking into getting into, I'm like, oh, wow, Peter says, I can grow in abundance in my backyard. Where do I go to get information? How do I get started? Is this as easy as it sounds? It's probably not. It takes a lot of work. It Give does, us some advice. Yeah, it, it it does take a lot of work and a lot of research. I'd say research is a big thing that people don't do enough of beforehand. And I'm not even saying that I've been great at that. I mean, I'm, there's right. a lot of things that I didn't know going into it, you know. Um, 
but definitely do a lot of research. I would check out um, any of the work by Jeff Lawton. He's in, uh, an Australian permaculturist, quite possibly one of the most famous permaculturists in the world right now. Um, mm. He teaches courses and uh, PDCs at his farm down in uh, Australia. Uh, Zaytuna Farm is what that's called. I'd check out his work. I'd check out the work that Joel Salatin does. He's a farmer from West Virginia, um, and he does more um, rotational grazing um, for pastured uh, pigs and uh, cattle. And he also has a really cool ideas for business models that I'd look at if you want to try to make money at that kind of thing. Um, if you're more into the homesteading side of things, I'd check out Justin Rhodes on YouTube. He's friends of Joel Salatin, but he does it just for his family and you know, produces an abundance on, I think, He's got a total of 12 acres, but not all of that is under production. Um, but yeah, he does a little bit of everything. He's great to watch. You know, it, I recommend looking at things like that. Um, look up permaculture design. Um, listen to podcasts about permaculture. I like to listen to the Thriving Farmer podcast. Um, that one's a little bit more geared towards profitable small-scale farming, but it does talk a little bit about permaculture and some of the niche things you can do with it. Um, I'm trying to think of any other YouTube channels. Um, James Prigioni on YouTube. He's a New Jersey uh, forest food forest gardener, um, and he's he's a great inspiration to watch. Someday I will create a food forest. That's on my bucket list for sure. Nice. So uh, while we're talking future five to ten year plan, Unity Acres, Peter Cushion, where do you see yourself? What do you hope to be doing, and what are you doing to get there? Well, five to ten year plan. We hope to have uh, an actual piece of property in the local area. We don't really want to go too far from this area um, for various reasons. One of the more minor reasons is that, you know, if we leave and go to an area where, you know, let's say it's just a lot of, a lot more people are doing permaculture stuff or a lot more people are doing small scale farming and people are used to that, that kind of defeats the point of the educational aspect of, of what we do, right? We're trying to mm. educate a community that's not familiar with this kind of thing at all, right? Mm. So that they can learn and, and understand it. We want to spread that. We don't want to just localize it in pockets that, you know, stay localized. Mm. So we want to have a piece of property uh, in hopefully uh, the next five-ish years. Um, I don't know how likely that is to happen. It's it Over the past several years, it's been notoriously difficult to get any property that's affordable uh, in this area. Um, although that looks like it could be changing with um, some changes in regulation as of last mm. November. Um, so that could be great. Uh, the city of Holland is doing a farmland preservation uh, program where I think they're preserving over 4,000 acres of farmland right now because they're losing farmland to commercial or commercialization and industrial buildings and things like that. Um, but yeah, we hope to get a piece of property. Um, we really want to start trying to be serious about making more money at it uh, rather than just focusing on the educational aspect of it. Um, uh, Liz, my wife, is more interested in animals than plants. She's great with gardening and everything, but animals are her true passion, specifically birds. She loves chickens and ducks and what they can mm -hmm. do. Um, so pest we might control. do something like that. And yeah, yeah. Pest Pretty control, yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah, um, my, my buddy Aiden, who, who is the fourth member of Unity Acres, um, he's really into like beekeeping. That That's something that he really wants to do someday. Um, sadly, where we're at now, not a great place for beekeeping. You can do it in small urban lots and stuff, but there's a lot of considerations with bees. They're very, very sensitive. Um, mm. So we hope to have a, a bigger piece of property that we can do all this on um, and hopefully start a homestead at, at first and kind of use that as a demonstration type site. And then after that, maybe focus more on making money at it. I would love to do it full time someday. Um, mm. 
So small scale profitable farming is really my main goal someday. Um, it sounds like you guys are taking the right micro steps to get exactly where you need to be, though. That's yeah, good. I think so. I think so. I've been told that by other people. It's one of those things where we're just kind of winging it and hoping that we're doing enough. Um, You're doing the research. You're doing the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We. Uh, uh, I, I don't think I'll ever do or do profitable farming within the next ten years. That seems mm. a little bit um, ambitious, just because of all the other things we're trying to focus on mm. and and do in the meantime. But I do want to do that someday for a living. Um, I think it would be cool. I'm partially just because I enjoy it. I, I really enjoy being out there. I really enjoy hard work. Um, and just, again, designing a system, you know, like a permaculture system is is so cool and fun to me. In fact, I already as creative exercises, I design food forests. <laughs> so nice. just for myself. But, you know, that's something that I'd really got- like to do. I've got two last questions for you. Yeah. Um, this is a great conversation. So, you know, just by advertising you in the acres, I want to make it explicit. If somebody has questions about permaculture or they're interested in getting involved and learning more, would you be a resource through the Instagram channel? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that they could reach out to perfect. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Feel free to message us there. Feel free to email us. Um, reach out to us on Facebook too. We post a lot of our stuff on Facebook too, just whenever we happen to post it to Instagram, but we're not super mm-hmm. active on Facebook generally. Now, I know there's um, other initiatives in Holland, a couple other uh, specifically maybe focused more on urban farming than permaculture. Have you ever thought about linking up with other organizations or finding any sort of synergy or economies of scale or something like that with, with um, I'm thinking like Eighth Day Farm is, is the one right on the top of my head. But Yeah, honestly, until you had brought that up last time we talked, uh, I had no idea they existed. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I honestly... It, it was kind of sad for a little while because we thought we were the only people our age doing anything remotely like this in the entire area. Like so, Jonah coming out of a cave or something. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, it's hard to find these people unless you 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 know what you're looking for. Um, so one thing, one other thing that we want to do along those same lines um, in the next five to 10 years, hopefully this year, we want to start going and touring uh, farms and gardens and people that do something related just to kind mm-hmm. of educate people, but also to kind of, build a little bit more of a community within the sustainable farming movement. Um, So yeah, any recommendations you have, definitely send those to me and we'll try to get tours there. I did message 8th Day Farm though, after we talked last time, see if we could get a a tour there at some point. They have not got back to me yet, but I might might email them again soon or something. But we also, um, one thing I forgot to mention was this year, another thing we want to try to do is um, something that has more, uh, direct impact and catches people's attention as far as like drawing them into, you know, what we do. So one idea that we had that we're going to try to work out this year is working with the city of Zealand or Holland to plant pocket gardens all over the place, like in random parks, in little corners of grass or patches of grass everywhere that people can just pick vegetables from whenever we want to show like a salad garden or something. Right. Yeah. We want to show people that, um, abundance is not as difficult as people think it is, you know, especially in small spaces and uh, abundance is there to share. So we want to, we want to really draw people wow. in with that. Another, another option that we had, maybe we'd combine the ideas was to do something more, uh, artistic and sculptural and have like gigantic bean trellises that have beans growing up them throughout the year. So they look like these giant leafy, you know, shapes. We're not exactly, sh- that one's not that oh. fleshed out, but we just thought, something that looks very strange and surreal would be something that would definitely catch people's eye, <laughs> you know, right. It catches your eye and then you learn about it when you right, walk yeah. up to it and 
take a snap bead and <laughs> yeah, right, that's right. awesome. Or, or, you know, or we'll have a little sign or something next to it explaining what it is yeah. and what we stand for. And so, wow. Well, Peter, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your journey with us today here on Hot Off the Hip. And uh, we'll hope to connect again in the future as as things work out for Unity Acres. Remember, folks, uh, unityacresfarms.wixsite.com if you want to check out the CSA or what they're doing in the community. And their Instagram is at Unity Acres. Uh, and this is going to be another episode of Hot Off the Hip. Signing off. Awesome. Thanks, Peter.